You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, good morning, and it is a privilege to open up God's Word with you today as we continue in our Roman series. Before we do, just want to remind you that if you want to follow along in the YouVersion app, um, you can do that. You will find our scripture. You'll find the points. You can add your own notes. All you have to do is open it up, click on more in the bottom right, and then click on events, and you will see uh, the brook right there. Um, In the spring of 2005, my family received um, some bad news from the doctor in regards to my dad's health. It was during a ski trip that my dad noticed that he was uh, not only out of breath, but he was constantly tired. And this wasn't just when he, uh, after he had completed a run down the slopes, this was all the time. Being that my dad has spent most of his life in the medical field, immediately alarms went off in his head and he knew something was not right. Um, So when they got home, he went and saw the doctor and they ran some tests on his heart. And the tests, as you can imagine, were not good. The test revealed to us that he had five blockages in his heart. Uh, one of them being what is known as the widow maker. And as the name suggests, if you have a heart attack when that is blocked, uh, you it's fatal and your spouse is now a widow. So without delay, my dad had quintuple bypass surgery. And the crazy thing about all of it is, it is that if you would have looked at my dad before the surgery, there was nothing on the outside that would have given any, any indication that things on the inside were not good. He was not extremely overweight. He was active. He worked all around his house. He had a pretty normal diet. In other words, all the outward signs pointed to the fact that my dad was healthy, but yet he wasn't. And thankfully standing here today, I can tell you that the surgery was a success and my dad is still doing well. However, I learned a very important lesson watching my dad go through all of that. And it was this, that the outside can be very deceptive to what is actually happening on the inside. It can give you a false sense of security. Paul knew this. Paul knew that the outside could be very deceptive. He knew this to be true of the Jews' lives and also our lives as well, that somehow we would look at our works, at our outward appearance, and base our right standing with God off of what we see. And as a result, we never actually put our heart under a microscope and examine its position to a holy, righteous God. You see, the heart, it matters to God. Remember what God told Samuel after Samuel had spent all day at Jesse's house trying to find the new king of Israel. 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord would say, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is what we're going to see this morning as we jump back in to Romans 2. And I believe that the question that this text will require you and I to ask ourselves today is this. Where is my heart in all of this? What is its position to a holy God? So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Romans 2, where we will be spending most of our time zoning in on verses 17 through 29. 
Before we do, though, if you recall, uh, last week we spent um, our time looking at Romans 2, 1 through 16, and we saw that God is judge. He's the only one that is judge, and he, his righteous judgment will be for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. No one is exempt. And now Paul turns his attention specifically to the Jew, and he makes them look past their outer shell and examine their heart. Knowing this, let's pick up and read starting in verse 12 of chapter 2. And we are going to read to the end of the chapter. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires... They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know this will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who to say to the one, say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, from man, but from God. So understand, Paul, leading into our verses this morning, uh, from one all the way up to here, he has dealt with the blatant unrighteousness found in the Gentiles in chapter 1. And then he's moved to the hypocritical righteousness found in the moralizers. And today he's going to be addressing the self-righteous Jew, his own people. And he's not going to hold anything back. He's going to come straight at them. Just check out verse 17 through 20 again. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you were instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. And it's in these first few verses that we see Paul tells the Jew that they have a misplaced identity. And he does this by pointing out all that they boast in. The first thing that Paul tells them they boast in is that they are a Jew. They are God's chosen people. The name even meant praise to Jehovah. And so they boasted in it. And why not? 
They boasted in it so much so that if they were to move into a Gentile city, they wanted to make sure that everyone knew that they were a Jew. And so they would tack it on at the end of their name. So it had gone something like this. Chip Oosley Jew has a nice ring. I know. But not only were the Jews God's chosen people and they boasted in that, but they also boasted in, Paul says, the fact that they had the law, the glory of Israel. No other nation could make this claim. They had received the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, and, and, but the, it didn't stop there. These Ten Commandments were just the foundation of uh, other laws that were added later, known as the Holiness Code. And because they had the law, they thought that not only did they know his will, but they also thought that they were qualified to teach and instruct. And even more so, they believed that because they had the law, they, they had this false sense that they were good with God. And they had the false sense that they were good with God because they said, well, we possess God's law. Not because they obeyed it, simply because they possessed it. You see, the Jews based their identity off of who they were. So to say, they, they based it off the fact that they were a Jew, their bloodlines. And they also base it off of what they had. They had God's law versus who they belonged to. And when compared to the Gentile, they deceive themselves into thinking, man, we are in right standing with God. Sadly, though, all they had was a form of righteousness. Simply put, they had a misplaced identity because they based it off their religion, not in who they belonged to. And while most of us are are not a Jew, these words still apply to us. That today we must guard our hearts from misplacing our identity in our religion. And it can be so easy for us to deceive ourselves into thinking that we actually have a right standing with God because of where we live, who we are, what we have done, um, our family line, and the fact that maybe we could point that we have a bunch of pastors in our family line, all that we have possessed and have done for God, especially when you compare ourselves against culture, maybe a coworker, a neighbor, or a family member, and we'll go, man, I am in right standing with God. And maybe we start off and we'll say, you know what? I I, I believe that I'm in right standing because I live in a country that was founded on God. So that's a point for me. And we'll take it a little bit further and we'll go, you know what? I got another point because I live in the Bible Belt. And man, everybody knows the lingo and the Bible Belt. You'll go to the grocery store and you can talk to somebody and they'll at least talk to Jesus lingo and even say they'll pray for you. And man, there's churches on every corner. You might even have the fish on the back of your car. And so you may think, man, I'm good because of where I live. I live in the Bible Belt. Now, probably most of us, we know that that really doesn't cut it, but let's go a little bit deeper. We have God's revealed word readily available to us in his scriptures. And thankfully to apps like the version, we have every translation, I believe, known to man, along with commentaries and devotions that help us flesh out what we are reading through. And then if we go back to our house, we still probably have maybe six more Bibles stacked up on a bookshelf. And so just like the Jew, we could very easily deceive ourselves into thinking, well, because I possess God's law, because it's on my smartphone, and because I have a lot of Bibles, maybe even some commentaries at my house, I must be good because I possess God's law. But the question is, do you actually live by it? Do you follow it? And we could go a little bit further. 
We might say we go to church and we're involved in all sorts of good things, maybe even nonprofits. We take pride in identifying with a denomination. We might have endless amounts of Christian books that teach us uh, how to live and maybe areas that we're struggling in. And we also know just about a, a verse for everything that we're dealing with or even our friend is dealing with. And we can pull it up and we feel like we are qualified to teach and instruct because we know a verse. And we could keep going on and on. And the thing is, if we're not careful, we can be led to believe that thinking our right standing with God is based off of our outward religion and all that we're doing for God and where we live and what we have and we possess. And the thing is, in reality, we are hollow and we are not known by God. We are dead. We must have a new life. We simply have a false sense of security. Reminds us of a guy named Nicodemus, a Pharisee who, who knew the law inside and out and tried to follow it to a T. I mean, if ever there was a guy that should have been saved by his religion, it surely would have been this guy, Nicodemus. But the Lord tells him something different in John 3, verse 1. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Hey, Nicodemus, your religion, it will not cut it before God. You must be born again. And the same is true for us this morning. No matter how hard we hold on to our religion and we can point out to the fact that we go to church and where we live and how many Bibles that we possess, they will not hold up in the courtroom of a holy, righteous judge. He will bore through that outer shell and he will examine the heart to see, do we truly know him? Have we surrendered to his lordship? The Jews... They had a false sense of security because they misplaced their identity and their religion. And this resulted in them having a pride in their religion. And this pride in their religion led to a hypocritical heart. Look at verses 21 through 24 of Romans 2. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery... Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This is where we see that pride in our religion always leads to a hypocritical heart. And when you mix those two together, it never turns out well. Matter of fact, this hypocritical spirit is a great identifying factor that you have misplaced your identity in your religion rather than Christ alone. This is what happened to the Jews. The Jews were proclaiming that they were more righteous than they really were. They would say one thing and do the opposite. Paul says you were hypocrites. And he asked them a series of questions to prove it. Questions that would demand the reader to to admit guilty as charged. The Jews knew that they were living contrary to what they were teaching and what God's word said. And so they had to say guilty. And these are questions that should humble us today as well. This hypocritical spirit 
made the Jews look down on and judge those that they were actually called to love and reach with the gospel. As a result, the Gentiles were blaspheming, not just God's people, but God himself. And they were saying, hey, you know what? Get out of here with your God stuff. We don't need it. We don't even need to listen to you because you know what? You're living contrary to what you're even teaching. So don't bring me your God stuff anymore. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? And church family, the world will always be ready to point the finger and call us hypocrites when we fail. We've seen it far too often when prominent pastors come up and admit a marital failure and the world and the news agencies are ready to point out and say, see, you're no different than us. So don't talk to us about your God and how he changes your life. And you better believe the world will be ready to point their finger at us when we fall and we will fall because we're imperfect people. But it should be our response when we do that we run and we humbly go to them. We say, listen, I am sorry because I didn't honor God in this area of my life. I failed. Would you forgive me from not pointing you to Jesus? And then we should quickly have the attitude of, let me point you to my God, though, who is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and mighty to save and who does give me an abundant life. Let me point you to my God but it also should be our heart's desire that we live in such a way already. And we live in such a way to glorify his name and advance his kingdom that we don't ever try to add fuel to the world's fire to point their finger and say, see, you are a hypocrite. And so maybe just like Paul did to the Jews, we have to ask ourselves a series of questions this morning. The questions that maybe even reveal where our heart is. So let me ask you, Do you steal? And we're not talking about robbery here. But do you cheat your employer of time? Do you cut corners? Do you put God first with your money? Or is it, this is my money. I've worked for it. I spend it however I want to spend it. And then I'll give God whatever is left, even though he owns it all. Do you commit adultery? And remember, Jesus blew that one up. And he said, anyone who lusts with his eyes has committed adultery. So do you lust? Do you worship idols? And no, not a big golden calf. But what is it that you talk about all the time? How do you spend your money? What is it that you think about all the time? Because there you'll find what you worship. And all you have to do is ask your your family, and I'm sure they'll be happy to tell you what it is you worship. Is it a sports team? Is it an actor? Is it your job? Or is it even yourself? Or how about, do you say that Jesus changes everything and in Jesus, you can find life, but instead of penetrating the world that is dark, you retreat from it and you just play it safe and comfortable because the world is a scary place. And you see the questions this morning, they should humble us if we see an area of our life where we're going, yep, I am living a hypocritical life right in this area. It should humble us and it should lead us to a place of repentance and maybe even running to our friends or our coworkers or even an employer and saying, hey, listen, would you forgive me because I'm not honoring you and most importantly, I'm not honoring Jesus and elevating him in this area of my life. In other words, our talk must be backed up with our walk because every single day, 
We always tell our students every single day, you're pointing the world, you're pointing your friends to one of two places. There is no such thing as a middle ground or a neutral ground and just being indifferent. You're either pointing them to the world or you, or you are pointing them to Jesus by how you are living. So our talk must be backed up with our walk. Paul isn't though, he's not done with a Jew. He now turns his attention to why they have a misplaced identity. And what we find in these next few verses is because they have a misplaced faith. They misplaced their identity because they misplaced their faith. Check out what it says in verses 25 through 27. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. You may read that and be like, what in the world is Paul talking about? And he brings up circumcision. What is going on? Let me explain, because it's important that you understand what Paul is getting at with circumcision to understand the power of what he's telling the Jews and what he is telling us. In the Old Testament, circumcision was the sign that God gave people of his covenant promise. He originally gave it to Abraham. If you turn to Genesis 17, you see in verse 9, this covenant of circumcision. Verse 9 says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign, you might want to underline that, of the covenant between me and you. And so while it was a cutting away of the flesh, and a mark, an identifying factor. It was more than that. It was more than a cutting away of the flesh. And it had a deeper meaning. Check out what Romans 4.11 says. He, being Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. This circumcision signified that all of Abraham's life was God's. It was an outward sign. It did not save him and it did not save his descendants after him. Genesis 17 makes that clear. Romans 4 makes it clear that all this was, was a sign of the covenant promise. It was fate that saved them. In other words, what we're saying is circumcision was a powerful sign that served to remind God's people that they had been cut away from the rest of the world and they were God's possession and they were meant to receive his very own blessing. Be something like this, this wedding ring. It lets everybody in the world know that I'm a married man. I'm married to the love of my life in Kelly. But it also reminds me every single day of the vows that I've taken between God and my wife, that covenant that I've, that I've put, gone under. And in the same way, that's what circumcision was. It was a sign. 
It was a sign to those in the outside world and it was a sign to the Jew and to remind them that they had been cut away from the world to be God's very own possession. This ring, it does not make me married. My vows are what made me married. All this was, was a sign. And the same way, circumcision, it did not save the Jew. It was simply just a sign. Somehow though, this took on a life of its own and the Jews believe that circumcision is what secured their salvation. And so Paul just blatantly tells them, hey, look, if you're holding on to the fact that you, your, your flesh has been circumcised and that's what you believe secures you and right standing with God, then I gotta let you know you're an unbeliever. You are uncircumcised. This would have been a slap in the face to the Jew. Paul would argue you may boast in the fact that you have the law and that your flesh has been cut away and you've gone through this physical circumcision, but if your actions don't back up your faith, then you are an unbeliever. And this is where we find the second thing that Paul wants us to guard our heart from. Today, guard your heart from misplacing your faith in outward signs. For the Jews... It was physical circumcision that they believe made them right with God. For many today, all they've done is replace the physical act of circumcision with their own version of circumcision. And so it goes something like this. You might ask, when have you been saved? Or are you saved? And they'll say, well, I was baptized. Even though all throughout scripture we see baptism doesn't save you, that's what they believe is their circumcision and secures their salvation. Or you might ask, are you a Christ follower? And they'll say, well, I go to church and I'm a proud Southern Baptist. Or they could go a little bit further and they'll say, I've been on a bunch of mission trips or, or I'm a good tither and on and on we could go. And so sadly, these people who think that they're a Christ follower based off of their outward signs and those outward signs alone, Paul would say, if that's you, then you need to understand you're just like the Jew. You are an unbeliever. You are uncircumcised. Are all those things that we just mentioned good things? Yes. Should we be about them? Absolutely. But they don't save you. They come and they well up from inside of you, from a transformation of heart, from what God is doing on the inside. Sadly, though, there will be many that will deceive themselves into thinking that, that they are in right standing with God, that their heart is good because they will point out their religion they will point out that they have the law. They will point out at their bloodlines. They will point out all these outward signs that they've been baptized and they've joined the church, but they'll only find out different when Jesus returns. Check out what Matthew 7, 22 through 23 says. To me, this is one of the scariest passages in all of scripture. Verse 22 says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. How sad is it, church? There will be people and churches all across this country, all, all across this wor world that sit and they hear God's word proclaimed and, and somehow they'll deceive themselves into thinking because I've done all these outward works and I'm involved in all these things and I've done a lot of cool things in Jesus's name, as Jesus just said, they'll deceive themselves into thinking that they truly are saved when they're not because they've never surrendered their heart to Jesus, to his lordship. And so Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. 
It's because the heart matters to a holy God. Paul says to us this morning, your religion will not save you. The outward signs will not save you. So if those things will not save us, then what will? And what we find is it is the circumcision of the heart. That is the sign of a true believer. We find this in verse 28 through 29, the crux of our entire passage this morning. Verse 28 says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter of the law. His praise is not from man, but from God. Paul says the true Jew, the true Christ follower is one whose heart has been circumcised. You see, to be grafted into the family of God, there must be a circumcision of the heart that results in a transformation of the heart. To be a part of God's family, you have to be grafted on the vine. And this is not a physical circumcision we're talking about. Even the Old Testament talked, uh, knew this, and it would talk about a circumcision of the heart. In Jeremiah 4, verse 3, we see, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. The circumcision that God requires is one of the heart where the things of this world are cut away and our heart and our sin nature have been cut away. The bad news is that no matter how good you are, no matter how many signs you point to, You cannot circumcise yourself. You cannot cut yourself away from the things of this world. You are still dead and stuck in your sin nature. And scripture tells us that you don't know Christ. The good news this morning, though, is because of Christ Jesus and because he came and he was victorious over sin and death, you can be cut free from this world and you can be cut free from the slave master of sin and you can have the abundant life that only Christ can give and you can be called a son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you can be grafted into his family and all it requires is faith. And once you've surrendered to Jesus, There's this transformation of heart that takes place and continues until our faith becomes sight. It's what we like to call the inside out change. God dwells in us and because we're seeking him and we are delighting in his word, our heart becomes more and more focused on him and delights in him and we wanna boast in him and make him known. And as a result, we produce fruit in our lives. Fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Our faith begins to drive our outward steps. And this fruit is evident. John 15, four through five says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides, remains, lives and dwells in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. So do you see fruit? Because if you've been circum, if your heart has been circumcised and you have been truly grafted into the vine, fruit will be evident. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but you should be able to see fruit. So as you're examining your heart this morning, do you see fruit? Is it evident in your life? Because apart from Christ, that fruit 
will not be there. And so Paul's words today, church family, they should humble us. And they should make us ask this question, what is the position of my heart towards a holy, righteous judge? Am I merely a Christian outwardly that just goes through the motions, that points to a bloodline, that points to the fact that I have God's law, even though I don't read it and apply it to my life, the fact that I've joined the church, the fact that I've been baptized, and that's all you can point to is religion and outward signs. Because I hope you hear me say lovingly, if that's all you can point to is just outward signs, things that you have done, then more than likely today, you do not know Christ as your Savior. Paul would say the true Jew, the true Christ follower is one who has surrendered his heart to him. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? And the good news is this morning, today can be the day of your salvation. And I pray that if that is you, that the Holy Spirit would just move and rock your world to the point you can't even leave. Maybe you can't even get up until you just sit there and say, God, all my life, you can have it. I am yours. I surrender to your Lordship. And if you want to talk to a pastor, we would love to talk with you because there are going to be pastors up here at the end of the service. I I pray, though, if you're a Christ follower this morning, that you would guard your heart. You would guard your heart from boasting in religion. You would guard your heart from boasting in signs. Are all those things great? Absolutely. But instead, you would boast in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. Because what we see in Scripture, it is grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. The heart matters to God. So what is your position towards Him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that your word... It is living and it is active. And it speaks to us and it cuts to the core. God, what we see through scripture is that you examine our hearts. That you know our hearts. So God, we ask that in these next few moments that you would come and examine them, that you would come and search them. God, I pray that maybe somebody that has just been boasting in religion and pointing to the things that they have done outwardly, but they've never surrendered to your Lordship, that today would be the day of their salvation. God, we pray that it would happen and we pray that your spirit would just move in their life to the point they can't leave without surrendering to you. So God, we ask that you would just have your way. And God, as believers, we pray that you would examine our hearts. God, examine our hearts to, and show us maybe areas that we are being hypocritical. Maybe areas where we're hindering the gospel. The gospel cannot be stopped, but we're hindering it because of how we're living. And maybe we just think that we can sweep it under the rug or we use the excuse because everyone is doing it. It's okay if I do it. God, but we'd be reminded this morning that you have called us to live for you and to delight in you and to advance your kingdom and to be holy as you are holy. So God, would you search our hearts and would you reveal those things that don't honor you and would we have a heart of repentance this morning and a heart that would humbly run to maybe the one that we have offended and say, I'm sorry, 
I did not point you to Jesus in this area. God, may it be that the world would see a difference in us. Not because we are prideful, but because we are humble and we delight in you and we want to make much of you. And God, may we be the body of Christ that boasts in Christ alone, not in signs, not in a religion that will never save, but in you alone that is mighty and powerful to save. So God, we ask again, would you come? Would you search our hearts? Would you test our hearts and examine them this morning? We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.